Welcome to this episode of Praying with Priests. I'm Father Michael Dink of the Prodigal Father, and I'm very blessed to be with Father Jacob Bearer. Father Jacob, as we begin, would you mind leading us in prayer? I'd love that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, bless this time together and all those listening. Allow us to be drawn more deeply into the reality of your mercy and love that is present in our life. Grant us deeper faith in your Son, Jesus, and open our hearts to the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Jacob, it's great to have you here. Um, I've known you since you were in the seminary, and you know, you've always been one of those people that I feel like gets it in terms of the spiritual life. Like I've always felt I'm able to to talk with you on a very deep and profound level. So I'm really excited to have you here. And really what we're going to do today is just is have you share your story of, of how you have come to know God and encounter God, especially in the spiritual life and in the life of prayer. Awesome. So what I'd like to start with is what your first memory is of God or of praying. Yeah, I think uh, my mind goes to, to three things, uh, two that were more... I guess, typical, and that would be my, my dad and mom teaching me, you know, the bless us, O Lord, and these I gifts prayer, mm-hmm. and then the, the ever-present, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take, or something if like I that. If I die before, before I, wake, I wake, I pray the Lord my, my soul, soul to, to take. take. Yes, so, so beautiful it, it, and <laughs> profound as a child, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... Praying that, and then praying, we would list um, people that we wanted to pray for, teachers, and then our pets. We always ended with our pets, whether they were dogs or hamsters. So wow. We, we, Pope Francis isn't saying anything that I wasn't praying <laughs> That you for. weren't brought up into. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was like one first stage of prayer was that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a part of my story that... Before you go, go on, ahead, yeah. tell me about the affective. When you think about that, what was that like? What was that experience like for you? Was it peaceful? Was it immemor- unnoticeable? What was it like? I think the bless us, O Lord, the experience of that was more, we're supposed to do this, mm-hmm. and so we're going to do this. Yeah. I think it was more like, this is what you do before you eat. Okay. Mm-hmm. And But the night prayer, I think it was a cool time because it was a very intimate time. You know, my sister's... And my dad, like we even like knelt down at the bed. And so it was like a cool end of the day family moment. Mm. And it didn't last long, but I think I didn't experience God, I would say, but I experienced like a family and a very cool moment praying. Mm. And it did build my confidence. Like I believed God heard me. You know, I, I did believe that God was listening. Beautiful, yeah. So it wasn't like, it wasn't nothing. It was just a child's faith. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm praying for these people, and this is what you do, you know, and it's yeah. a cool time to be family together. Yeah. So I, I think a part of the reality of my faith journey was my parents divorcing when I was like four years old, and my dad's side is the, quote, like Catholic side. Uh-huh. And then my mom's side... Um, is really non-practicing, but they grew up Protestant. And when my parents divorced, my dad took us to 
Catholic Church, St. Mary's in Painesville, on Sundays, and we sat with my grandparents and we went to church. And then my mom would take us to her dad's church, which was Painesville Baptist Church. And so I had kind of a back and forth experience of prayer and of church that really has been very fruitful now mm. in priesthood. It's led to a lot of fruit and openness to a lot of things that I don't think I would have otherwise been open to. And that leads to then the first time where, as I was thinking about when did I first experience God, this is the first thing that popped into mm -hmm. my mind. And it was at Painesville Baptist Church, they had a traveling evangelist in for a weeknight service. And I was there with my mom. I don't remember my sisters being there, but I was there with my mom. And I've always been like interested in religion. Like I was the young kid that listened to the sermon. I wasn't not paying attention. Now it's always been there. Um, so as I was listening to this evangelist, I was probably, I'm going to say six years old. Okay. So it was around that time, maybe a little before, maybe a little after, but it was right around that time because it was after the divorce and we were going to Painesville Baptist Church. And this evangelist was concluding the speech, and I, all I can say is I began to feel God's love hmm. for me. And I was kneeling down in prayer. like the, he, he invited us to kneel and say a prayer. And I'm like tearing up a little bit as I'm talking about it now because it really was, it was so beautiful. It was like God is here, and he's looking at me and he loves me. Hmm. And I remember crying. I was just like bawling my eyes out crying. This little kid and my mom was crying and other people were crying behind us. And then he did the altar call. I didn't know what this was um, at the time. I was too young, but he said, if you're feeling God right now, I want you to come up and I want to pray for you. So I was. I, it's, I don't know how to describe it other than imagine you're in something of a magnetic field and like your hair goes up on end, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like your hair, like you're just, something's here. Someone is here, but it was just love. Mm. It was just love is here and overwhelmed by it. And when that time ended, I was like hugging everybody in the church. Like people would come up and be like, oh, yeah, it was really good to see. You know, there were a lot of got people from, West Virginia, West Virginia roots, part of my family is there. So they kind of, you know, in my mind, I go back to West Virginia when I think of Baptist or Methodist kind of experience. <laughs> my mind just goes to like a Southern accent. And they're like, well, good to see you here. And I remember just hugging this guy. He had a big belly, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it, anyway, so I gave him a big hug and just tears snot on the mm. front of his belly. You know, I was this little kid crying still. And it was like the love was so overwhelming that I just was just, I, I couldn't help but just hug people. Mm. And that was, that's like, it really marked, it marked my journey because I can't not forget that experience. And even through the ups and downs of my life, when I think of when did God break into my life, I think of that moment. Wow. Yeah. It's six years old. At like six years old. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I share that, um, I share that 
uh, with a little reservation because it's not, quote, typical maybe, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I don't want to sound like I think I'm special, but it's, it is what it is. I mean, if I'm going to answer honestly, that's what it was. It was my first experience of God. Wow, that's beautiful. And, and experiencing that overwhelming love um, in that community of people praying. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So then how did you carry on after that? That's the amazing thing. Like in a very, I look back. And when you talk about Jesus saying the children, you have to be childlike to enter the kingdom, I get that because I began to like, I began to pray to God for everything. Mm. It was very childlike. I remember I like shooting guns. I still do. Mm -hmm. And my uncle owns property in Leroy or Leroy. Leroy. Okay. So <laughs> in Leroy, I would go out there every now and then and... We had just got done shooting guns, and I was in the back trailer. There was a blanket over the guns, and I'm sitting in the trailer as he's driving the four-wheeler. And I bowed my head and began just thanking God for that time of shooting guns mm -hmm. innocently. But it was really intense. Like, I remember it was like a really intense, like, thank you, God. This was so beautiful. What an awesome day. I got to shoot the 44 Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just, it was so great. And then the engine began puttering. It was like a bup, 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 instead of yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. going. And I opened my eyes and I looked back and my uncle was standing up, idling the engine, staring at me, wondering with this look of like, what in the world are you doing? Like, are you praying right mm -hmm. now? <laughs> like, really? This is what's happening? And then I thought I did something wrong. Like, oh, yeah, I'm being weird. You know, like even as a young kid, you're like, oh, I, I guess this isn't time to pray now. Like, uh -huh. I, I shouldn't be praying right now. My uncle is looking at me like I do, I'm doing something wrong. Um, but, yeah, I think it flowed out of that. I started, you know, I had my kid's Bible, and I was reading my kid's Bible. And prayer was, I was more convinced that God was listening to me. Mm. So, and it was just a part of my, part of my life. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think that a lot of people struggle with that question, is God listening Mm -hmm. Does he hear my prayer? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have a story of where I prayed for something and got it. Mm -hmm. um, but there was just a very confident knowing of his love. Mm. And even a childlike confidence of sensing that love. Yeah, yeah. You know? So that was, yeah, that was beautiful. You know, I'm I'm kind of glad I don't have a story of like I asked I prayed for a bike right, and I right, got a right. bike because mm -hmm, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't about that. It, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't. You know, as a kid, you pray. You know, Fluffy. You know, when Fluffy dies, you know, you're sad and you pray to God. But uh, I don't know. It was beautiful. Yeah, and that's what I uh, love helping people do is realize. Yeah, I use this image of the prodigal father to realize that God prayer is an experience of Him loving you, just being with Him. Um, you know, I almost think of the, 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 the man with the big belly that you had, you know, and, and you hugging him and <laughs> God the Father just wanting to embrace you and, and kind of like show you his love. So exactly. So that's as a, a younger child. How did your prayer kind of develop after that? Well, let's, where do we want to go from here? Because we ended up leaving the Painesville Baptist Church and going to 
first church in, uh, in Painesville, which was, I think, more Disciples of Christ denomination. After First Communion, uh, my dad stopped forcing us, because that's mm -hmm. what it became. We were forced to go. Mm -hmm. We would go kicking and screaming every Sunday. And yet, oddly, I liked, this is a Catholic priest talking, I liked going to the Protestant uh -huh. Bible study. I felt like I learned something. Okay. You know, I was interested in the Bible stories. And we had Bible study before the services. And then the sermon would be there, and it would be like a good sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you experience at the music, Catholic Mass? I experienced wanting to blow out the votive candles that people lit. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought it was a birthday cake, like one of my earliest experiences. <laughs> blowing out the being, And my dad would be like covering me and my sister's <laughs> mouth. I have a twin sister. So uh -huh. he'd be like covering both of our mouths with both of his hands and walking <laughs> us walk to the pew. Because <laughs> he'd be like, oh, it's like a birthday candle. Uh -huh. It's just all lit up. And uh, But I didn't, there was nothing in it. Um, that really captured my heart when I was there. Yeah. And, and the music didn't seem to really be uplifting. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. I had no clue what the stuff at, in mm -hmm. the sanctuary was or what was going on. So it was like, and then they told me that I was eating Jesus. And in my mind, you know, you're a young kid in the second grade. You're very literalistic. And so when they say you're eating Jesus, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I thought they had a coffin in the basement. Oh, my. And his body was down there. And they're like, it's like you're going to a butcher shop and, like, taking a shaving thing that, mm -hmm. and, and, like, shaving <laughs> off little pieces of them. And, like, that's where I'm It freaked me out. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So, <laughs> and, uh, but that's where, you know, your mind, that's where my second grade mind went, just right. very literal. Mm -hmm. But as I grew up, um, my prayer... It was there, but it didn't grow up. See, it didn't really move beyond the childlikeness. No one taught me how to go deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And I was a teenager. This was about eighth grade. I went on a vacation, and I was in the car of somebody who was an atheist at the time. And um, now they are, now they believe in God. I don't think they're, they would consider themselves like Christian, but they believe in God now, which is interesting. You know, how time changes us. Mm -hmm. And so they began to question me about what I believed in as a teenager. You know, did you, don't you know this about this other historical reality surrounding the scriptures really began to unravel my more, my unnuanced understanding of biblical inspiration. Mm -hmm. A lot of that involved science and evolution and also evil. I mean, I had not experienced in my life any dramatic evil. So to bring up the question of evil and then in the face of other things from the Old Testament that are like, yeah, I guess that is there. Why is that there? This, this thing that seems very evil that's mm -hmm. going on. And it like shattered my my yeah, faith. Yeah. It really did. And from about eighth grade until sophomore year, eight, nine, ten, those three years of high school, I was I was not an I was not a sincere atheist, but it was also a very hard time for me and I felt like God was distant. Mm. And I was more mad at God, I mm -hmm. think, because I was going through the the dark time of of not knowing where I fit in, um, 
wondering who I am with, you know, which friend group am I a part of, um, my family dynamics that are there and present, mm-hmm. you know, with a divorced family. Um, so all of these things are simmering, and I dealt with it in very unhealthy ways. I dealt with it by, join, you know, I had like the good group of friends and then the group of friends that partied and drank and, mm-hmm. you know, that, so, so I was dealing with it in very unhealthy ways in high school. Um, and so God, God was there, but it was more, I believed that there were supernatural or preternatural would probably be a better term for it. Like I believed in the preternatural. What does that mean for our like, listeners? Um, like ghosts and angels, uh, weird occurrences. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought there was something to the new age kind of stuff and became interested. So it's interesting what happens as Jesus becomes less a part of my life. What ends up filling that void for me are other things that tap into that desire for the transcendent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my, because I think there's something about my heart that is something of a romantic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, that was part of the romance of the mystery of life. In the midst of what I was experiencing as doubts and fears and depression and sin, yeah. in the midst of all of that, there was still this sense of mystery. And... Every now and then, you know, praying to God, but saying, if you're there, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a fine prayer. If you're there, you need to do blank. You know, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you showing up? So my prayer was more Psalm, uh, you know, what is it, 88? You know, my, my only friend is darkness. Right, yeah. That was, that was a very real prayer for me in the middle, like, 8, 9, 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And I didn't let anybody into that. That was another reality. It was a very lonely period of my life. So my heart always goes out. Now as a priest, my heart always goes out to teenagers when I'm hearing confessions. And some people poo-poo young adult problems. I don't because they're very real. Real, yeah. yeah. And and they are very destructive. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have somebody there that's listening, it, it can be very bad. Right. So my prayer life was more that. It was more of, you know, it's in the Psalms, I guess you could say this, God, what are you doing? You know, it's mm-hmm. like Moses saying, if this is the way you're going to treat me, I might as well be not here, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the wilderness. If this is what you're going to do, Lord. And uh, that's my Mel Brooks impersonation mm-hmm. for any listeners out there. And uh, so that was my prayer. Then something there was a shift that took place. And I'm trying to remember that there was like a series of events that happened in about the 10th grade. And it's hard to piece it all together because it was such a desolate time of my life. Like the sequence is out of order. It's hard for me to say this happened first and this happened. They're kind of all jumbled. So this is, this, is like a, this is a series of events that happened. One was I was at a buddy's place, and we were partying, and I was just feeling down in the dumps, and I ended up leaving the party and going up to the room that was like my area. Um, and it, I was by myself, and I remember praying to God, God, 
you have to, you, you really do need to help me. Because if you don't, I don't know where I'm going to be. Mm. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I'm going to live through what I'm going through. And, it, and I was crying. And um, it was just a very heartfelt, sincere prayer. Uh, around that time, one of the Christian high school students invited me to their youth group thing. And it was at Trinity Baptist Church in Mentor, Ohio. I think you drive, you probably, when you yeah, were in that's Mentor, right. you drove uh-huh. past mm-hmm. it. So he went to Trinity Baptist, another Baptist church. So shout out to any Baptists or former Baptists that might be listening. So uh, I was desperate enough, I think, and prideful enough in a way to say, I'm going to go to this thing and be unaffected. Mm-hmm. But I knew deep in somewhere I needed to go. Mm-hmm. And he invited me, this guy, he was a great guy. One of the most humble, prayerful high school men that I have ever met in my life. And um, his name was Zach. And so he invited me, for whatever reason, to come to this youth group. We got along fine. We argued about religion. Mm-hmm. I challenged him every time I could. But he invited me anyway. And I can't remember what happened at the end of that night, but during the praise and worship, it was like what happened when I was six years Mm -hmm. old. But now instead of like God loves me, it was Jesus loves me. So it was, it was top three most powerful experiences of my life mm. in terms of God in my life. I, it's, it's almost, I, I wish I could go back and remember what happened, but it was so, there was something so deep. It's like, it's like it happened, and then there's, I, I, can, I remember the music going and the guy talking about God, Jesus, and then driving in my car, rolling down the windows and screaming at the top of my lungs, I love you, Jesus, mm. on the drive back. So maybe that's junior year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd probably have to be closer to junior year then. So uh, I wish I could remember what it was like, but again, it was, it was Jesus is real. He's loving me right now, and that's it. So this, this, what ended up happening was, I became a hermit (laughs) in high school. school, Uh My friends became very nervous because I was being antisocial, basically, Uh, but not in a depressed way, right? What happened was Jesus was real, and I knew it, and he showed me great love and favor and I could not pretend I didn't experience that. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I began to read the Bible. And I was reading the Bible like Gen- I started, I did the thing where like you try to start at yeah, Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you make it to, you know, you get through Exodus. And the numbers. And the numbers. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay. And then you start losing steam. And then when it gets to the chronologies and the list of laws, yeah, you're like, yeah, all yeah, right, yeah. I th- I'm good. You know, I'm good. But that's where I went. I went back to the scriptures, and I was praying again. Uh, I, 
talked with my grand my grandparents on my mom's side. They were still going to Painesville Baptist. I went back to Painesville Baptist. Um, and again, my timeline is all messed up. I wish I could remember it better because I can't. It's all jumbled. And um, so I'm reading the scriptures. I'm praying. And it's heartfelt. The scriptures are coming alive for me. I remember being at the Baptist church at the Bible study and asking questions uh, about Mary. And they gave an, an, a reply to, about Mary that kind of make me, made me think, what, what, that doesn't make sense. Because about this time, I talked with my, my Catholic grandmother. So one of the people that taught me to pray was my Catholic grandmother. Mm -hmm. And she taught me how to pray the rosary. And this was going on while I was going to the Baptist church, and they're very much against praying to Mary. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult. And I, I can understand from, their, from the frame of mind that they're coming from, I, I, I can understand. I disagree, obviously, but I can understand where they're coming from. Yeah. You only need Jesus. Mm -hmm. you, know, you don't need to talk to anybody else. And Mary's dead, so you're kind of doing this talking to the dead kind mm. of thing. Um, so that's in their mind what you're doing. But it wasn't what I was doing. You know, so I was praying the rosary, an imaginative prayer for me. That's when I began to go deeper in my prayer. Because my grandmother said, she explained the rosary. My first time praying the rosary, I didn't know the Our Father. I didn't know the Hail Mary, and I didn't know the Glory Be. Mm. And all she said was, you pray an Our Father on the big beads, Ten Hail Marys, and then a Glory Be, and then you do that. My first Hail Mary went like this. Our Father, Hail Mary, 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 Glory Be. Literally, first rosary was Exactly what she told you. What I just said. That's all I did. The beautiful thing about that was God honored it. Yeah. That's where I was at. I really didn't know the Hail Mary. I really didn't remember the Our Father. I didn't. I had no clue what the what the glory be was. I didn't know what mysteries of the rosary were, but I prayed it, and there was a beauty of even that litany, you might call it. Yeah. Of like, okay, I'm I'm doing something. This is new. I'm learning something. So I went back next the next week, and I said, she said, how'd it go? Because she's of course excited. Yeah, right. Prodigal mm -hmm. son. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's praying you know, the rosary. This, this poor yeah. guy that I've been praying rosaries for every mm -hmm. day. You know, now he's asking me how to pray, and. Um, so she asked me how to go, and I explained, and she started to laugh. I'm like, yeah, what, what's... And then she gave me a pamphlet, and I went, oh, crap. Yeah, that's where it gets really <laughs> complex. <laughs> this is going to take forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had a maid. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, pray one before you go to bed every night. Which, again, I think we get nervous about telling people what to do because we don't want to seem like we're telling people what to yeah. do or whatever. But when you're young and you're learning, we need to be told how to do this, and we need to get, be given structure, and I needed that. I needed right, my grandmother right, to right. say, here's a pamphlet, pray it every day. And that's what I needed. I needed to learn the prayer. The first thing was learning the prayers. The next thing was learning the mysteries. Mm. And then she said later, like, I, you know, I think as this evolved, she said, what I do is I picture myself in the scenes. Mm -hmm. She said, don't worry about. So once I learned the Hail Mary, she said, now you know the Hail Mary. Don't worry about the Hail Marys. Imagine you're in the scenes and let the Hail Marys be more like a spacer thing. Mm -hmm. So she was teaching me imaginative wow, prayer. Wow, beautiful. And which is more than 
so many people when they pray the rosary, it's like a chainsaw going off and it breaks my heart. You know, you hear people praying the rosary in church and like, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. She's holy Mary, mother of God, pray for sinners down at the hour of our death. Right. It's like Mary's like on the edge of her seat going, oh my gosh, I'm going to get there. <laughs> Hold on. So uh, I was reflectively praying, entering into it, and my, um, my fantasy life was so vivid. Mm-hmm. You could tap and into that. finally... I was yeah. able to use it for good. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, my fantasy, my ability to imagine things was now moving from, you know, everything you can imagine. Right. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. To now holy things. Yeah. And I was able to enter into these mysteries and it didn't matter how long it took anymore because I couldn't believe how powerful that experience was. It was so vivid. It was so real. I loved the luminous mysteries. They were my favorite, and they were my grandma's least favorite mm-hmm. because she's they like, were different. a pope can't make yes. those mysteries. <laughs> he shouldn't be able uh-huh. to do that. Mary revealed the three. Yeah. You know, so, but I loved them because I got to see Jesus mm. in a very profound way that was like, I don't know, I loved the wedding feast of Cana and sitting there and, and in my imagination watching, G- watching the servers draw water and going, this guy's out of his mind. Mm. You know, that was, so I'm also, I'm learning the scriptures. I didn't know I was, I mean, I was reading the scriptures, but I was interiorizing yeah, them. Yeah, entering into it. It wasn't just yeah. memorizing verses, which is what the, you know, I love the Baptists because they taught me to revere sacred scripture. Yeah. What I loved about the Catholic Church and the Rosary was it taught me to both revere the scriptures but not treat it like a textbook, right. which is what I think more or less I was getting from the Painesville Baptist Church. This is a textbook for life, mm-hmm. and these are life lessons you're going to draw out of this. But I was hungry for an encounter in the Word, yeah. and the rosary brought me into that encounter. So wow. I was encountering these mysteries. You know, I loved the Sorrowful Mysteries, too, because you're entering into something that is so profound where in your imagination things are happening. It's like the movie. It was like watching a movie, but you're in it. You're in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it just drew my heart. And what I didn't realize at the time, like, this is the Holy Spirit at work in your mind. Because things would happen that were obviously not a part of the scriptures, still true and good and holy and consoling, but it was like, but God was using that to speak to my heart. So like Jesus is carrying his cross and then he looks at me and he looks at me with great love and my heart melts. Mm. It's like, okay, that's the whole, I didn't realize that this is the Holy Spirit helping me in this moment where I needed Jesus to look at me as I was carrying my, my high school yeah, cross right, yeah, of feeling yeah, alone right. and, and broken. And about this time, I also, so this is, this is an amazing thing how God works, was I have this experience of Jesus, which was feeling totally mercifully loved by him, loving him in return, but wanting to change. Mm. And I think this is what we miss often when we evangelize. If I can get on a soapbox for a quick second is, I think we preach mercy without repentance, and we forget that repentance feels good when you need it. Yeah. I needed to repent. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I don't want this in my life. Right. 
And when Jesus' love entered my life and his mercy was there, it was like I needed somebody to tell me I don't need to sin anymore. Go and sin no more. Yeah. I needed that so deeply. And Jesus did that for me. And I was kicking things out of my life, even, even good things. But I needed that. I needed to be emptied. Mm-hmm. So I, wasn't li- I loved country music. I wasn't listening to country music. I was listening to Christian music and Gregorian chant. Yeah. I mean, it's what I needed. I needed to just kick everything out that wasn't Jesus. Right. I needed that. And it scared people because I was, as you can probably tell from this, you know, I have deep feelings and passions, you know, they can be there. And here I am, these things that I loved to do, I wasn't doing them. I loved playing Texas Hold'em in high school. Mm-hmm. I lost so much lunch money playing Texas Hold'em. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. And uh, literally playing Texas Hold'em with my lunch money. Not eat, choosing. <laughs> to not eat. This is, this is what he takes a gambler. And <laughs> I might have some issues. I feel like we got a Johnny Cash song coming in here. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I love Johnny Cash. I loved his story. You know, he's this edgy guy. He was in darkness and he found light, you know. And um, so... But I was emptying myself. I wasn't hanging out with friends because I didn't, I wasn't interested in anything other than Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that might shock people to hear that as like a high schooler. And it shocked other people. I think my family didn't know how to take it. Yeah, yeah. Because here's Jacob, who was this outgoing guy, you know, in a lot of darkness. I think they knew. On some level, there were other things going on, but I still had like social groups and right. hanging out with people and going out on weekends and doing things that high school students should be doing or art people think they should mm-hmm. be doing. But there was this now there was this flip that happened and kicking things out. So there's this purifying in my life. Um, and I was going to Baptist church, and they had a communion service. So this is this is an important moment where. They had a communion service where it was with uh, grape juice and Wonder Bread that was sliced up into squares. Mm-hmm. And they, re- they recounted, uh, I think it was like Luke's gospel, where Jesus goes through what the Catholics would call the, the institution of the Eucharist. Um, they read it. We ate communion. And I remember eating the, the piece of bread and drinking the grape juice and going, mm, there's something missing here. Hmm. And then, boom, my mind goes back to St. Mary's and First Communion. And I wanted to go to Communion. Yeah. It was just boom. And with that came the realization, if I was going to receive Communion, I needed to go to Confession. Mm. Okay, so... This is the amazing reality. We poo-poo memorization and, yeah. you know, rules and right, all that right, kind of right. stuff. Like, we're, we're against it. But again, when you're a kid, you need to know these things and learn these things. And then what happens is when you're away from Jesus, you need the discipline of these rules. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's not a bad thing to know, like, oh, before communion, I should go to, to confession. confession. Yeah. Okay. That was a good thing. I'm glad that... My PSR teacher taught me that. If you're a PSR teacher out there, please 
teach your students if you're in a state of mortal sin to go to confession. Right. They're probably too young to understand, but later on when they're in high school and they want to go deeper in their faith, they're going to remember that, maybe, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, the light bulb goes, goes off, you know, like yeah. all of a sudden it makes sense. And the amazing thing was I wanted it. Like I said, like mm -hmm. I, as soon as the thought came to my mind to go to confession, like I had told God I was sorry. And I was kicking sins out of my life on some level. But there was something about confession that felt very real, more real and more tangible. I wouldn't have called it the sacramental theology, but that's it. That's what it is. It's the sacramental sense of it. And I had to look up the times for confessions. So I looked online and it was a Saturday. I think it was a Saturday. It probably would have had to have been a Saturday. And I remember like, I didn't tell my dad where I was going mm -hmm. <laughs> because it would have, I was so, it felt very strange to go, even though I knew I needed to go. So I said, okay, I'm going to head out. I'll be back. And I went to church, and there was, I think there was only one priest in at this time. Or if there was, I, choose, I chose one of the sides, and I went in there. There was nobody in line. There was, like, one other person in confession. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm going to, like, just go? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just going to go? Like, I'm just going, I'm just yeah. walking <laughs> yeah. in. I'm Here not, we go. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I saw that it was face-to-face, -face and I went, heck no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I went behind the screen, and it was Father Mike Stala. Yeah. So he's pastor currently at St. Cosmas and Damien. I didn't know who he was at the time, but it was Father Mike Stala. And this was the second confession of my life. This was probably junior year, beginning of junior year of high school. Gosh, I can't remember, but... It was about that time, okay, because I was able to drive. Gosh, when was that? When mm -hmm. would that be? It doesn't matter. Anyway, so I was 16 at least, 16 or 17. And I kneeled down behind the screen, and I say, it's been however many years. I calculated it as much as I could. I was so nervous I couldn't even. And I said, it's been a while. I don't even know what to do. And he said, well, let's start with the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Strike that. This is the first words he said to me. Welcome home. Mm. Those are the first words. Waterworks. Welcome home crying. Wow. Because there was only love in that phrase. And now I realize as a priest, that's probably something that he says to each person who's been away mm -hmm, for longer mm -hmm. than five years. Right. You know, like welcome home. But I'm glad he did it. Like that, that routine is there for a reason. It's the father bringing a child home yeah. and welcoming you back into the household. And when he said, welcome home, there was so much love that I cried as I recounted things that I had not shared with anybody else, as I ripped open areas in my life that had been so shameful and embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And I'm pouring them out. I don't know how long it took. I don't know what the penance was. I'm not entirely sure. But I remember leaving there feeling free. Yeah. When he absolved me, 
I was back and this was home. Mm. And I remember going, I think I went to the Baptist church maybe one more time and I went with my grandparents and to lunch, brunch afterwards. And I told my maternal grandparents, I can't go anymore. I'm going to be going to St. Mary's, which for Baptist is, is tantamount to. Yeah, right. Not, it's not good. Yeah. But this is the amazing thing. My grandfather said, Jacob, if that's what you need to do, you got to do that. If that's where Jesus is moving you, which was like amazing. Yeah, right. No condemnation again. Mm-hmm. And very freeing. So then I talked to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I want to start going back to church. And he said, okay. I'm like, what the bleep is going, what in the world is this? So here I am, my, my grandmother <laughs> was like, what, what's happening? You know, what is this? And then I so, said I wanted to go to, I wanted to get confirmation. So I, I started to read the catechism. As you can tell, this is probably not, again, this is, I, I feel like this is unique, but this is where it, I, I needed this. I needed all of this. I loved it. I devoured the catechism. I loved every moment of it. Yeah. I, I was soaking it up. I wanted more and more and more and more and more. I was that annoying kid. Mm-hmm. I was that annoying kid who you get sick and tired of, but he's so hungry and so excited by what he's learning. He doesn't, it doesn't matter how he's learning it. I was reading things by Thomas Aquinas, not understanding a word of what I was reading, but just excited that I was learning new Catholic words. Mm -hmm. Transubstantiation, like, oh my God, okay, substance, okay, so it's trans is change, and then substance, Mm -hmm. that's what, oh, this is amazing. You know, reading the Old Testament and then seeing the altar and the sacrifice and going, I, I, I was making this connection between saying, the sacrifice here is like the Old Testament sacrifice there transformed through Jesus. Right. And I was making that connection in my mind because of the word and because of the catechism. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly right. This is, this is exactly right. Uh, and then praying the rosary all the while, going to confession. So the next priest that I started to go to confession to was Father Bill Brown. Mm-hmm. And Father Bill Brown was also really good because I, you know, as I began to come out of my hermit hole and go back out into the world, then I needed somebody to keep me honest. Yeah, yeah. And so I would go to him to confession and to be like, that's a sin. Mm. You can't do that. It's like, okay. And then he gave me great penance. I remember one penance. He said, I want you to read the letter to James. And I said, was it really that bad? (laughs) <laughs> you want me to read a whole book a in the whole, Bible? Yeah. What, what's, what's it? But again, what it was, was I needed to, I needed it. And I needed more than three Hail Marys. Right. I needed to enter more deeply. I needed somebody to challenge me. Because if I had somebody say, oh, you're good. Mm-hmm. You're fine. It's okay. Oh, no, everybody your age is doing that. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. okay. You're fine. If I had that, I would have definitely accepted it. Right. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I would have been totally cool with that and and been able to justify it and build all these strongholds around it and be like, I'm a good Catholic, you know, all the. But he wouldn't do that. He held me to the word. And I'm so glad that he did Mm. because he showed me the love of a father that wants to protect me. 
and he challenged me to love people that I wouldn't have loved otherwise. When I was not being kind to people in my life, he would call me to be kind to them. And it was, it was, it, it, it was like honeymoon, it was a very much a honeymoon period in my life where I was taking RCIA classes at St. John Vianney in Mentor to get confirmed with the eighth grade class. And you're in high school and still. I'm in high school. Okay. So I'm confirmed with these eighth graders. And my experience at confirmation was Bishop Amos. And that was another profound experience of the Holy Spirit. When he said, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't as powerful as the previous two powerful experiences that I had. It was more like a peace that you can't explain. Mm. It was very peaceful. Yeah. I could have, if I would have, if I would have known what I know now, I would have been like, I could have rested in the spirit. Yeah. Right. I, I had the most, I had this grin that was like, I, I, it was like new wine. It was like, if you've had just a little too much wine, you're not in a bad place. You're, you're, you're right on the cusp where you could be mm-hmm. <laughs> not anyway. So <laughs> not encouraging anything, <laughs> but just saying, uh, so it's like right there. It was like the new wine of the spirit Yeah. and just grinning, smiling like an idiot, feeling this immense peace. And so happy to be Catholic, Hmm. so proud to be Catholic. And it's about that time that I began to think, maybe I'm called to be a priest. And this was while, I wonder if Father Father Mike Stala was, was talking about vocations, uh, and, and, and getting, trying to get people to, joined the priesthood and he did help me think about it it's but it was more it was going to adoration I was going to adoration Father Mike Stala at masses would challenge us to think about what God's calling us to do which is wonderful Mm -hmm. I was praying the rosary I worked out my high school schedule so that I could get to Mass in the morning because we had a 6.45 a.m. Mass. I was a high schooler going to a 6.45 a.m. Mass. Daily Mass. Daily Mass. And then I had school at Lakeland Community College. So I would... So I would go to Mass in the morning, 6.45 a.m. I wouldn't even do this now as a priest. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be so so tired, Uh Uh, but it was just so on fire. I just so loved it, and I needed it. 6.45 a.m. Mass, prayer rosary with a group of people after that. Go to the convenience store, get a cup of coffee, put on a James Taylor CD, and then drive to Lakeland Community College for my class, get out of that class, and then go to Riverside High School in Painesville. And that was like my morning routine for, Mm -hmm. for part of high school. It was, it was some of the best. It was so awesome. And it was awesome because as people found out I was going to church, it was like weird. Yeah. Like, Jake, what are you doing? Like, I, I, was, I drove, my mom would drive past our house or somebody would drive past our house and say, your car is not there, but it's not really time for you to be gone. Mm-hmm. Where were you? I'm at church. Is everything okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... I need uh, mass 
Mass was prayerful, and I needed communion. And the rosary, the people, when they prayed the rosary, it wasn't, let's get to the end of the rosary. We really prayed the rosary mm. together. And they let me lead. You know, they let me lead one of the decades. Because, probably because they were so shocked that there's this high school yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so it's, it's through all of that, it was deeply healing. It was deeply peaceful. It was a very peaceful time in my life. There was turmoil in the midst of needing to let go of friends because there were groups of friends that were good guys, but I knew that if I was going to follow Jesus, I couldn't be friends with them anymore. Mm -hmm. And that led to some very tough conversations and some conversations that I wish now I, I would have had and been more honest. But when you're in high school, you, you don't think, let's just talk and say, this is going to be really hard to say this, but I can't be friends with you. Mm -hmm. Because you don't, have the, you don't have the sense of self that can withstand the crushing blow of somebody looking at you and being upset at you. Yeah, yeah. So I just fled. Right. And I, I, I ignored people, and I cut people out of my life that I shouldn't have. And it's one of the regrets I have. You know, there's different ways. You know, I think... You, you end up doing things that you look back and say, I needed to let them go, but I needed to do it in a better way. But you right. only know that in retrospect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so high school rolls around. My prayer life is now I am praying. I'm doing at least a holy hour every day and sometimes more than that. Um, and it was so real. Mm. I would go to the chapel for adoration sometimes. I, I have problem. I, I sometimes can't sleep well. And what was awesome was now when I knew I was going to have a night where I wasn't going to be able to sleep, because that just happens every now and then for me, I was going to the adoration chapel. So here I am, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., I'm in the Eucharistic adoration chapel. I snuck out of my house <laughs> got in my car, drove in the middle of the night to go to church. Nobody's there, and it's just me and Jesus there, mm. pouring my heart out to him, arguing with him, crying, singing. It was awesome. Mm. It was great. In the stillness of the night, um, again, it was, it was everything that I needed at that time, and I had the freedom to do it. So... At the end of my high school, I wanted to be a priest so bad, I didn't apply to anywhere else. Yeah. I was so convinced God was calling me to be a priest. I'm not one of those vocation stories where you enter seminary and you say, let's give this a try. Okay. Uh -huh. That wasn't me. Mine was, God, Jesus has done all of this in my life. I know how dark, how dark high school can be. Yeah. I know how dark life can be. And I, you know, for some people that might sound like, I, I'm sure there, there might, I'm not sure, but there might be some people saying, you're just a high schooler. How could you know? But dark life was pretty dark mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Okay. And I know where it was and I know where Jesus pulled me out of. And I wanted to bring that to everybody. And the way that I knew how to do that, what gave me light was mass and confession mm -hmm. and prayer. And I thought, Jesus is calling me to bring this to others. So I spoke with my 
pastor, Father Steve Valenga. And what was funny was he joked with Father Mike Stala because Father Mike Stala is the one talking about vocations all the time. And yet I talked to Father Steve oh, Valenga. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so they're like sitting at dinner in Valenga. He got the Father fruit. Valenga, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, Father Mike Stala uh, planted the seed and mm-hmm. Father, Mike, St- Father Valenga watered it. You know? Yeah, right. But it worked out wonderful because I went to him after a morning mass, I think, or we, we scheduled an appointment after a morning mass. And he said to me, I wondered when you were going to talk to me, mm. which is really like weird and cool. And I thought, and I think I even said to him like, yeah, I guess I am the only high school boy here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I ended up talking to him during the week and he said, I'm going to the seminary Friday. I'm going to call the seminary and get you a room. Why don't you meet me at this Hardee's that's on the way, uh, and you can follow me to the seminary, and I'll introduce you to who you need to be introduced to, and you can spend spend the night there and see what you think. So now this is a weird point now, because now I need to tell my family. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I can't just say, I'm going to be gone for Mm -hmm. the weekend. Uh, so this was very strange because I was very private about all of this. So I wasn't sharing with my family everything that I just shared now. And I don't even know uh, if I've shared much of any of this with them, which is interesting Mm -hmm. thought to have because it was so personal and it was something so private I needed to protect it from judgment yeah, or yeah. even perceived judgment. So I sat my family down. I sat my mom and my dad down. And they probably thought I was going to come out of the closet right. or something. Yeah. I mean, they really, I mean, it was like that kind of conversation, like you're going to sit down and let's. And the worst things I come to their mind. Yes, like yeah. Like mom and dad, I need to. Say, tell mm-hmm. you something, and it's really important. Like, okay, he's either gay or he, somebody's pregnant. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, which is kind of a weird dichotomy. To <laughs> right, <have>. yes. <laughs> that usually is the reaction, though, when, it, when a teenager or a high school student says, Mom and Dad, we got to talk. <laughs> so I said, uh, I want to become a priest, and I'm, I, I'm planning on going to the seminary this weekend. Something along those lines, really fumbling through it. And I'm crying because I, I, I guess I just cry a lot in this story. But yeah. I'm crying because it's so important. And uh, my mom starts crying. My dad is confused. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're both confused. Um, because for the longest time, I was telling them I wanted to join the military. And I really did. I was, re- I, I, I was really, up until probably senior year of high school, I was thinking... At the end of my senior year, I might go to a college, but what I really want to do is join the military. I want to join the Marines. There was something so attractive to me yeah. in that. And um, I, I think it was like duty and protecting and serving. Like There was something noble about that that I just was drawn to. So when I told them priesthood, my mom starts crying My dad's confused. And my dad looks at me and says, two weeks ago, 
you were telling me that you're going to join the Marines and become a sniper. Uh-huh. And now you want to pray for people. <laughs> and he says, do you see why, like, do you get what is going on in my head right now? Yeah, like yeah. how this doesn't seem to add up. And I went, no, 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 no. It's a blah, 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 blah. You know, I just had to justify. justify. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, yeah. hearing, I wasn't able to hear anybody else or what they were experiencing. So I, we're getting off of prayer, but uh, I ended up going there having a very good weekend. So that's high school ended with me telling my friends that I was going to enter seminary. But at this time, I had, I had so transformed myself in different, some ways that were positive, some that were pretty self-righteous, um, looking back. But it wasn't a surprise for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was more... Okay, well, that makes sense because you've, been, you've become a preacher. Right. <laughs> so, so this seems to make sense. And, I mean, I was praying the rosary nonstop for a time. I, I really was the kid. I really, if I had a youth group, which, which we kind of did, but I wasn't really a part of it, I would have been the kid that was the weird Catholic kid mm -hmm. that was all about everything Catholic. Uh, and, you know, I can't help but look at your high, because high school years were probably the most difficult years of my life. But hearing you speak about yours now, to me, it almost seems like God was allow, allowing that to create this place of solitude in you, you know, where he, he was able to reach into you at such a deep level mm -hmm. that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well... I needed that solitude. I did. Mm -hmm. Do you mean the solitude of during the darkness, or the solitude of when I came back to Jesus? And well, I think I, I'm I'm thinking the, the the painful experience during the darkness mm -hmm. was almost a preparation for you to then be able to experience solitude, and I guess maybe isolation is a better word. Mm -hmm. You experience some isolation, right? Oh, you yeah. know, of from others and even of God. And, and now, all of a sudden, God's filling you in that isolation and that solitude. It's like you dug that well. Mm -hmm. Dug that well out. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's a part of it where I look back over all of the dark, dark experiences. I felt, looking back, you can see how not alone you were. Yeah. And you can see how typical your experience is in some ways. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that when you're in it. Right. And in a certain sense, if you did know it, you wouldn't be in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's no way around it but through it. Yeah. And, but God used it all. He really did. And, yeah, if I hadn't have gone to the depths of that darkness then I wouldn't have been able to experience the depths of his love going mm -hmm. to the depths of that darkness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, I think, all of this, when I entered seminary, created a situation in the seminary where I was already 
doing meditative prayer, and I think I was having like a prayer of silence because there'd be times where I would go into the chapel and all I needed to do was know he was there mm. and I could sit in that. And it was awesome. Yeah. You know, it's just so beautiful to sh to feel that transition happen. Uh, it's this, you want to have the meditative prayer. I was praying four rosaries a day. Mm. You know, guys thought that I was off my rocker. They still do, but yeah. for different reasons. <laughs> and, uh, but it was so necessary for me to have that. I, I needed that so much. And I loved, I love Mary so much. Mm. And she was loving me so much and getting me to Jesus. And the meditative prayer, I was reading the scripture. And I didn't see other guys, as many, many other guys in the seminary doing that. But for me, I needed it. Or, mm. And I wanted it. When we had retreats, I was the one, I was the guy who wasn't joining in the conversation. I might be trying to make guys laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't lose the sense of wanting to be a class clown. I think there is still this Your personality. beautiful personality yeah. was still there. So on the silent retreat we would have at the college, during the mealtime, I was the guy with the water pitcher making it sound like somebody's peeing, <laughs> you know, and like just really dragging Breaking it the silence. Yes. <laughs> yes. Breaking it for every single person. You know, if I can't stand it, you're not going to be able to have any silence. And then if they laughed, that was it. I would do it for every single guy that whose glass I would pour water for. <laughs> so, so as long as I was getting a laugh. So, um, but the prayer was... Deepening, I think what happened at seminary, what the seminary introduced me to was taking, I didn't realize what I was doing was self-knowledge. Mm -hmm. I was gaining in self-knowledge in my sin. I knew my sins. I knew my sins. But what I didn't know was my self-knowledge. Yeah. And which I think it's different. There's one thing to know your sins. There's another thing to know why you sin. Mm -hmm. Or even if you don't know why you sin, to know that there's reasons why you sin. Right, right, right. Things and that play so, into it. Exactly. And I had great confessors at the seminary. One of them was Father Bob McCreary, who was uh, a Capuchin Franciscan. And in confession and in conversation, a few conversations, it wasn't like he was my, he wasn't my spiritual director, but I really looked up to him. He was a very peaceful, peaceful priest and a good confessor. Um, he taught me to take the meditative prayer I was doing, but now ask Jesus questions. Mm. So it wasn't simply going to the Gospels. Now it's going to the Gospel stories and asking Jesus, okay, Jesus, this is in, in my life. What do you have to say about this? And trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to work through my imaginative prayer. Yeah, yeah. Which is a leap for some people. Some people get very right. nervous when you start doing this because... It is it just me saying is this it or is it me? my own? Yeah. I think I had already built up enough history with God at this time where that was less of a concern for me. I had a history of going to God and him surprising me with things that really moved my heart. Mm. And so it just, it came naturally. It was like, oh, I never thought of that before. Of course, of course I can ask Jesus these questions. Yeah. And so he began to heal things like the pain of my parents' divorce and all the different lies that you end up believing when you're a small kid. Um, 
one of them being it's your fault somehow. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was a very deep lie in my life that the, all the pain, you know, so everything became all my fault. Every experience of darkness I had was all my fault. It was all my fault, all my fault. That was a big lie in my life. And that meditative prayer became aware of the lie and then allowing Jesus to speak into that in that time of meditation. Really healing, yeah, deeply healing. Yeah. Healing on a very emotional level. Still an immature college male. Um, I think I was immature in a lot of ways. I think some of my habits that I brought in from high school into college were a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think my habit of being too private was a part of that, part of mm -hmm. that immaturity, because I think you're honed when you're in conversation about things that are personal with other people. You need that. Yeah. Um, so having a spiritual director was so key for me because I was able to share with the spirit, with another human being right. the deeply interior things that I was reflecting on that I wasn't sharing with anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I needed somebody to tell me, Jacob, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Jacob, listen to me. You, that's not your fault. You know, like it's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. it's like a, <laughs> I think I even, I think I even said something along the lines of, are you Goodwill hunting me? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Breaking you <laughs> yeah, down to that. You, like, it's not your fault. Yes, uh, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Stop it, man. <laughs> yes. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> and, you, you know, know, so one of the questions people often ask me about prayer, um, when you enter into this deeper prayer, meditative prayer, praying with your imagination, um, how do I know if it's really Jesus speaking and not me speaking? And I, I get the sense for you that you, you were having these experiences of going into your meditative prayer, into this prayer with fantasy and imagination, with a question. Yes. How did he answer? I'm trying to remember experiences that I had. Sometimes it would be I would begin in a mystery. So I, I would begin with the question of what's going on with this sin? Mm -hmm. or, or what do you want to show me right now about this? Because I'm feeling really down right now. Yeah. And um, so I might begin with a gospel passage, but I remember this one prayer experience I had where a water pitcher was coming to mind. Okay, so you're trying, I was trying to pray with the gospel passage, but just this image of this watering can, this green plastic watering thing for flowers mm -hmm. with a white shower head mm -hmm. at the tip. It, kept, it was in my mind. Okay, so you, you, there, I think if somebody had that experience they might say, well, that's a distraction. Right. Which I think I might have done, but like, this is weird, you know, and like you try to kick it out, but boom, it's right there. So I thought, okay, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to see where this tail, I, I'm going to see if there's a tail mm -hmm, to this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to follow this image. This image, so then you start, okay, what do you want to show me with this? So I, I'm I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, I, nobody taught me this. Yeah. I just did it. What are, you, what are you showing me? What's going on? And that image of a watering can 
took me back to the time immediately after the divorce of my parents at my grandmother's house where I was outside and my grandmother was watering the plants on the front of the house because we lived at my grandma's house after my parents' divorce. And because I was, I was thinking about all these different sins in my life and what's the root of this. And I mentioned like my fault. I mm-hmm. think this is where yeah, that, that right. realization came to. And that watering can was the same one that my grandmother used. And when I saw it in her hands, all of the pain of the divorce flooded into my imagination and came to. And I realized how hurt that time, how how painful that and confusing it was. And I remember weeping. It it wasn't... it was deeply consoling because it was like this pain that was there from this kid that was confused was able to open up mm-hmm. and shower mm-hmm. out, you know? It's like part of this water, like you yeah. need to cry almost and just go through the mourning, that the grief that I wasn't able to go through when you're young and you don't understand yeah. what's going on. So it was like this grieving took place. So that's one of the ways that's maybe more the extraordinary way that mm-hmm. that can happen where it's like a very random thing that kind of happens. I would say the other times would be Jesus washing my feet. That was a really powerful image for me was Peter not wanting Jesus to wash his feet. And that was so where I was. Yeah, I didn't want to be loved by anybody because I didn't believe I was lovable. Right. So... I, I remember going to that meditation and feeling like I need to be here. Mm-hmm. I know I I know I need to be here, as uncomfortable as this is. And then when you let in your imagination Jesus wash your feet, <laughs> you you are aware of how deeply you needed that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like it's touching on this this it's it's revealing your worthiness. You know, so I'd say like the self-knowledge came in that, like reflecting on that prayer. Sometimes it would happen in the prayer, like the watering can image, or it would happen reflecting on my experience of prayer and journaling mm-hmm. or in conversation with my spiritual director. Yep. So both of those means, and that's where I think, I oh, gosh, this is an amazing image that came to my mind one time was I was, ha- I was on a surgery table Gosh, I can see it right mm-hmm. now. I can. This is this is also, I think, a part of when you know it's from the Holy Spirit because it's so vivid and, wow. and real and, and fruitful. Real. Yeah, yeah, and the fruit that's Happens. there. So I was on the surgery table, and it was heart surgery, and I was cut open, and Jesus reaches in and pulls out this black heart. Mm. It was like a chunk of coal, and He says, "Why do you want to hold on to this?" Hmm. Now, where's that in Scripture? Nowhere. Yeah. Okay. But I think I might, you know, who knows? I might have been praying on it. Uh, you know, I will give you a new heart right, or something right, like right, that. Right, 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 right. So I might have been praying on that. But that was the image. And I remember telling my spiritual director that. And my spiritual director said, well, sit with that. Mm-hmm. Which is the best advice. You know, he didn't try to explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, sit with that. So I sat with it. And it was very freeing to know that I don't need to hold on to my old sense of like my heart is my old heart. 
you know, I'm allowed to know that Jesus is giving me a new heart mm-hmm. and accepting that and yeah. embracing that and knowing who I am in him. So those are the types of things when, when they would bring fruit into my life and they wouldn't lead to isolation. So maybe a counterexample of when it's not of, of Jesus, I think would be when it became all about psychoanalyzing myself. So I think that was when I became psychoanalytical and I became my own Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. that's when it, the, fr- there were, the only fruit that came out of that was turmoil. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so the turmoil, I, I thought the turmoil was because I was hiding something. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go deeper because that's how my, you know, I don't know what that is in me, but if there's a problem, I want to fix it. Assess it and fix it. Yeah, know? right. Yeah. So I would go deeper, and then you'd be more turmoil. Mm-hmm. Then you think, oh, man, this is a huge issue now. Yeah. And that's just a good clarification I want to make. So for people that might be listening and wanting to know what's the voice of God, I always teach, you know, there's three voices, our voice, God, God's voice, and the enemy's voice. You know, if it's God's voice, there's going to be grace and fruitfulness and like a, a freedom and increase of faith, hope, and yes. love, as you were describing. And if it's the enemy's voice, there's, it, it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be a decrease of faith, hope, and love, and agitation, a, um, a rumination, a self-condemnation, um, you know, yes. and it's, it's more of you looking at yourself than you looking at yourself with the Holy Spirit. Yes. And I think that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're in the seminary now. Yes, I'm in the seminary. Tell, tell us about the progression of, of your prayer there, or, or do you want to talk next about ordination? Well, there were a couple of things that happened. One of them, one of, the, one of the most powerful experiences that I had of the Holy Spirit was my junior year of seminary. And it was in the spring of my junior year. And there were a group of guys that would go up. It was this third floor area with a small chapel. There was no Eucharist there. But they would go there every now and then. And they would do praise and worship. Mm -hmm. They were more charismatic. I was not charismatic at all. Um, Or at least, you know, people would be like, well, you certainly sound charismatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you sound, you know, you sound pretty intense, actually. Mm-hmm. But no, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I, I wasn't pursuing that. I made fun of people that prayed in tongues mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But they kept inviting me to pray with them, and so I broke down one time, and I said, "Okay, fine, I'll, I'll pray with you all." Uh, and there were th- three or four guys there, and they were the Capuchins. Mm-hmm. They were these Capuchin students in the college program, we began to pray. And I was just going to, I went to appease them. Yeah. To get them off my back. And as we began to enter into praise and worship, okay, so this is the second time I've publicly told people about this. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also reflecting on this as I'm sharing it aloud. And I'm also aware that for some people this is going to be very intense, what I'm about to say. And I want to preface this with the reason I want to share this is because I want, I think I want two things to happen. I want people to be hungry for the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I want people to be aware 
that the Holy Spirit is very real. So leading up to this time of prayer, my prayer was I needed to know God loved me. Yeah. I needed to know it. And I was praying to the Father, Father, I need to hear you say you love me. I need to hear you say it. Mm. I don't want to read it. I don't want some I, 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 I don't want to just convince myself of it. I want to hear you say that you love me. And that was my prayer for months. So here I am in this upper room. They start doing praise and worship. I have, a, similar to the time at confirmation, which was a peaceful thing, it like maybe begins that way, it begins uh-huh, peaceful. Yeah. It's, it intensifies very dramatically, very quickly, to the point where I was shaking, I was kneeling down, crying, you're, you know, crying. I felt like my chest was ripped open and there was lava coursing through my torso. Hmm. I was sweating from the heat. My body was shaking and I began to pray in tongues. Mm. It was a baptism in the Holy Spirit is what it was. I, I didn't know what it was. And I also didn't know that other people experienced things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I realize as I'm saying this that there, there will be people who will say, that's crazy. And this is going to be not attractive to some people because it's, it's too out there. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I understand and I don't, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who, I, I, I've become what, somebody who, who is aware of that anyway and doesn't judge. I don't want to judge anybody who's having that, need, that yeah, reaction yeah, of yeah. saying, this is freaking me out. Right. What was, what was so, what was, but I do want to, sh- I, need, I, I feel like I want to share it though because it, it happened, it's, it was real. It was very intense. At the height of that experience, all of us in that chapel were on our, well, there were the two guys to my right were on their knees praying to God in tongues and singing. And then one guy was standing over to my left and he said, Jacob, I believe God the Father wants to tell you this. You are my beloved son. Mm. With you, I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. And then what was this very, like, f- oh, oh, I'll say like almost literal fire, it felt like. I mean, it was jarring. It was not, it was, cons- it was not pleasant, mm. okay? It wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience. And it was at the same time. I don't know how to, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. It was a surprisingly pleasant and unpleasant experience. Like, they were like, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Well, not all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And um, f- for whatever reason, that's what I needed. And then that word was spoken to me. I, I believe it was a prophetic word where God told this man, who I know has a very close relationship with Jesus, tell Jacob this. It was the words that Jesus heard at his baptism mm-hmm. from God the Father. It was exactly what I was praying to hear, and I hadn't told anybody this, that this is what I was praying to hear. Some, I was praying to hear the Father say this. The Father told me that, and it, it, was, it was a baptism. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's not the sacramental baptism, but it was a filling, 
a refilling of the fire of the Holy Spirit in my life. I woke up the next day, and I had no clue what happened. It felt like a dream. Mm -hmm. It was so surreal that it almost felt like it didn't happen. I didn't have like a Holy Spirit hangover the next day. It was more like, wow, that was nuts. Mm -hmm. And then you were back to normal. And then I was back to normal. Mm -hmm. And I even went to the guys afterwards, and I said, uh, they they were from, uh, one guy was from more the Caribbean area and another guy was from uh, one guy was from oh gosh they're central america they were mm-hmm. from different countries of central america and i don't want to sound racist <laughs> yeah. by name because I, wa- yeah. I don't want to i don't want to get any of it wrong but they were from different countries in central america and one guy from the dominican republic mm-hmm. so i said wow i thought that was just a cultural thing where it was like I know, like, because my home parish is half Latino, yeah. or half, they speak, half speak Spanish, half speak English. That's my home parish. Mm-hmm. And so when you'd go to the Spanish-speaking liturgies, which I would, it was more bubbly. Okay. You know, it was yeah. like uh-huh. more out there. You know, they're praying. They're praying with one another. It's not like a weird thing. It's like in, in the English-speaking part. It's a little more reserved. It's like if you say something's going on and you're like, well, let's pray right now. They're like, ah, don't touch me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the Spanish speaking community, you're like, I'm going through a tough time. They're like, hey, everyone, let's all <laughs> lay hands on this person and pray for them right. right here, right now. And it's not a weird thing. Mm-hmm. So I said, wow, I thought that was just a cultural thing to them. And then they started laughing because they're like, you are ridiculous. <laughs> You just had this just amazing had, yeah. experience. And what I drew out of this amazing <laughs> experience was, it's not just a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. That was the extent of the depth of that thing. But what transformed, a couple of things that transformed was, the char- I couldn't ignore the charisms now. I couldn't ignore pray- praying in tongues because I began to pray in tongues. Um, I couldn't, ign- I wanted more. And my prayer life became much more attuned to the fact that God wants to speak to me. Mm -hmm. I think that was a thing. So I I was telling you like the meditation kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But now it shifts to not only does God want to tell me about myself and about him, but God wants to talk to me, to direct me, to help me help other people. Mm -hmm. To discern, I mean, we're talking discernment. Yeah. So I think it deepened my discernment and confidence in the fact that God wants a real relationship with me. Right. Which, you know, we say we believe that. But when you start telling people, yeah, God told me to do this. Again, this is, this is the thing that happens in Catholic, I'm not even going to say just Catholic, I think just Christian circles. We get into this game where we say, um, well, we have to discern God's will. And then when you say, well, God told me to do this, people say, you're out of your mind. Not really, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we talk out of both sides of our mouth because we're so uncomfortable with the supernatural because it's so out of our control. Right. And if you're not used to it, it does sound very, even new agey. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you start worrying. Or prideful. Or you know, prideful. Who are you God, to think yeah. well, God spoke to you? Yeah, God spoke to you, and what about me? I've <laughs> yeah, been praying right. all these years. Uh-huh. So all of these things are, you know, in the back of your mind, 
and I think it's part of the reason we don't talk about spiritual experiences, which is why I think these things are so necessary to do, mm-hmm. to have podcasts like this, and why I wanted to share these things like I have, because we need to be more comfortable sharing the extraordinary, because the only way we're going to get used to moving in the supernatural, which is where Jesus moved, Jesus lived and breathed in the supernatural. It was natural for him. Mm. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. That's what I do. So, and if Jesus reveals what it means to be a human being, then Jesus is revealing that the supernatural way of life is really our inheritance as those who believe in Jesus Mm. Christ. So, Mike, Mike, you know, it's like all of these experiences kind of forced me into a place where I needed to decide Am I actually going to live by what I say I believe, or am I just going to say I believe it? Mm-hmm. And this was the journey then up to ordination, was this struggle between not wanting to be weird or to follow Jesus as he's revealed himself to me in my prayer mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit and the Father. So this is the tension, and I still experience this, I don't want to be, no one wants to be an outcast. Yeah. And nobody wants to be that guy. Because there are, unfortunately, emotionally unhinged people that talk about things the way I've talked about them. Mm -hmm. And they're very convinced that who they hear is the Holy Spirit, when really it's not. Mm -hmm. And they do things that are not helpful, though. You know, they don't have friends. Mm -hmm. They don't have a balanced life. I think what I've seen over the course of my prayer life is a a growing maturation, a a greater balance in my life. Uh, I'm 31 years old. I'm not fully matured as as I'd like to be. I meet I meet guys in the seminary that are in, in the college program that are more mature than I am. Um, but at the same time, I do know that God has matured me. And I, I'm, I'm speaking from a place of, what do, what do I want to say? I'm speaking out of a place of a heart that's been healed. Mm. Is there still room for healing? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. You know, I'm not... As St. Paul said, I'm, I'm not speaking as though I have attained the goal of maturity, mm-hmm. but I speak as one who chases after that goal. Yeah, I think that was in Philippians yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I'm speaking. You know, it's like, have I reached that maturity? No. Am I speaking as one who hopes in it? I definitely do because I've seen the fruit of this on the emotional life. And, and it's not all been prayerful. I, I have gone to counseling to work through... Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that I even brought up here. I, I've, I have gone to good counseling. I've had good friends. I've had good spiritual directors. Yeah, and all of that's uh, All of it is a of part it. of it. Yeah. It's not one only. You can't pray all of these things through. You need good friends. You need somebody that you can go deep with. If you need somebody to walk you through the deeper emotional hurts, you need to do that mm-hmm. and or find somebody who can help you do yeah. that. You can't do that alone. When I was trying to do that alone, it was part of the problem because you end up trying to heal it in other ways. Mm-hmm. So I've made mistakes. I've done things I shouldn't have. 
Um, but I've seen God work through it all to bring about a maturity. And so this struggle happened all through seminary unto ordination where I needed to choose. And I'm still, I still feel like I'm in this, this balance of, okay, what am I going to do here? Am I going to, am I going to live what I preach or am I just going to preach it? Yeah. Am I going to have cool experiences and say, that was amazing? Or am I going to take it to heart and live differently as a result of it? Mm -hmm. Am I going to take my prayers seriously? Or am I just going to be awed by the fact that I've had these things uh, happen? So it's, it's conversion. It's about letting go. There is an obedience aspect to this that is going on right now in my heart where I'm learning more and more there needs to be a humble obedience because you don't, uh, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so in the midst of all of this, you've just got to listen and obey mm -hmm. with the proper structures in place. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what a spiritual director or a good, solid spiritual friend will help us do is, is really clarify, all right, is this, is this voice of God? Is this really what God is asking of you? And, um, and then kind of living out of that reality. When I was ordained to the priesthood, so in 2000, oh my gosh, 2017, I was ordained uh, a priest, and the prayer shifted. So this is a cool thing that begins to happen is in seminary, you're discerning you. Mm -hmm. In some ways, seminary is very self-centered. Yeah, yeah. And because it really is you making a decision about you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the structure. You have to know if this is God's will. You have to be confident in that on some level. And you need to deal with your junk. Mm -hmm. and yeah, you're almost hyper-focused on self and self-care. And yeah. And looking back, I can bemoan that. I wish somebody maybe told me to look at Jesus more. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have believed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have done it because I would have thought, well, then I'm not dealing with my problems. Right. When really... What I needed to hear, I like I said, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have listened to him if they mm -hmm. told me to look at Jesus. I would have just kept doing what I was doing. Um, but but there's also the grace of that time was a lot of people don't have the luxury of that time. Yeah, right. So what ends up happening for a lot of people is they graduate from high school, they go to college, they meet somebody. They get married. They start having kids. Now, talk about rapid life changes in succession. You're starting a career. You have a family. You have kids. And you're trying to pay the bills, <laughs> figure out what being married means, and what it be means a to be a father yeah. or a mother. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally radical changes. If you, if you think about yourself longer than two seconds you're going to miss what you need to do for the other people in your mm -hmm. life. I mean, there are needs that are more urgent than you. And that's part of the beauty of fatherhood and motherhood is you have to be selfless mm -hmm. or else you're going to be a bad parent. Mm -hmm. I say that not being a parent, but kind of thinking about how selfless I've seen parents be and my own parents yeah. be. My parents, my mom and my dad are two of the most selfless people I know. 
and it's it's really it's really amazing and I realize now their love I didn't see it clearly when I was growing up but you see it later on you know you look back and say oh my gosh how did they do it mm. how did they manage to do it I don't know how do they deal with me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean how, how do they deal with this kid that wasn't talking mm-hmm. and they didn't know how to help but they did you know and, and so it was really beautiful. So anyway, so then, you know, then your kids grow up and now they're, they're kind of on their own. Then you get to a place kind of later in life where you're like, what am I doing mm-hmm, with my life? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking necessarily about a midlife crisis, but I am yeah. in some ways. Like, so really seminary kind of forces you to an to early midlife crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why it can be so difficult for guys because you have to either have an interior life or you have to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And the guys who shut it down become priests who, and I say, I want to say this with respect. So if you shut down your interior life, what ends up happening is you become very efficient at what you do, mm-hmm. but you have a hard time relating it to the depths of your priesthood. And so if your ministry isn't going well, Everything, your identity is placed in your yeah, ministry right, right. and your doing. Yeah. Because that, that depth of the interior life hasn't been established enough to resist the pull of other voices that are saying your worth goes deeper than what you produce. Mm-hmm. If in the seminary, though, you, you pass through the threshold and you go into the interior life, now you're, you're in a different place where... Now you've got a whole other set of problems. The other one has plenty yeah. of problems. <laughs> you know, you, you've got plenty of problems in that other place that you can deal with and have fun doing. Mm-hmm. The interior life of the seminary, it's a whole other set of things because now you have to go deep into your emotional life. You've got to go deep into your past and your history. You've got to go deep in what you really believe is true. And I, 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 I entered into that, you know, uh, into that journey. And then you're ordained a priest mm-hmm. and you are thrust into other people's lives. Yeah. There's very little time after you're ordained. You have those three weeks after you're ordained, three, four weeks, where it's all about you. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the parish and it's all about you for a day. Oh, welcome, Father. Boom. First problem hits you. I... So, you know, one of the first few days of my parish priesthood, there was somebody knocking on the door in the evening who was obviously somebody I found out later because I ended up calling the police. I remember the story. Okay, so this is a very unwise thing to do, okay, but I'm going (laughs) to, but it's like they said they needed help. It was in the very, You were very St. Francis. Like you brought Saint him Francis. in, offered yeah. him some food. Exactly. <laughs> I brought this guy in. I was, I was alone in the rectory. Mm-hmm. He came in riding a bike, a bicycle, a bicycle, mm-hmm. and was lying on the front lawn. He said things that weren't making sense. I looked at him and said, you look tired and hungry. And he said, I am. And I said, I made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I called a priest mentor who said, what did he say to you? <laughs> And I related it to him, and he said, well, that's just what he said to you. You only know his side of the story. And I said, yeah. And he said, no, 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 Jacob. You only know his side of the story. 
you don't know who this guy is. You mm -hmm. don't know what he's going to mm -hmm. do. So, I, you know, I found out he was uh, coming down off of a high, off of drugs. My mom is... I <laughs> <laughs> But these are the things, you know, you, you, I, I always think of my, my first year, you, you experienced the whole gamut from the very day two, you yeah. know, of ordination. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it kind of just comes upon you. Right. And everything, you know, everything. Every, every life experience there is within your first year, I think, at least a priesthood, you experience it. Right. I mean, deaths, uh, deaths of children. Mm-hmm. Deaths of adults, yeah. Uh, baptisms, baptisms where people don't really seem to understand what's going on, mm -hmm. and then baptisms of Catholics who love what they're doing right. and are so proud to be Catholic. Marriages of people that are the super duper Catholics that want five priests yeah, at their yeah, wedding, yeah. and marriages where it's like, that eh, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really get all of it, plus people's problems. And it's a weird thing to have people coming to me as a thirty-year-old with problems that they've had in their life. And I have no clue. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I didn't even want to pretend that I had a clue, right. which I think was to my credit. Yeah, it's helpful. So I would say to people, I have no idea how to help you. Now, I would word it differently two years in a priesthood because <laughs> you want to leave people with hope. Right, and walk Like, I want to help you, but I'm not the best person to go to. Mm -hmm. That's like a much better right, right, Like, right. you have to learn priest ease. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, like... You need to learn how to say things, but like honestly, I was able to say to people, "I'm I'm not the one that can help you with this problem." But it's still it's on your heart. So then the shift begins to happen in prayer, mm -hmm. where now you're discerning where God is calling you to help other people. Uh, you're realizing the inner resources that you don't have. Mm -hmm. Now there's a whole new set of insecurities that begin to happen. Yeah, where you build up in the seminary resources to deal with your own problems. Now you have to build up resources to deal with other people's problems. And that is a balancing act because you're still working on you. Right. And now in order to help others, you've got to make sure that you are balanced. Mm -hmm. And that's the tension now. How do I help others while still able to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I know... If I lose this intimate relationship with Jesus in the spirit, I am not going to be able to help people yeah. as a priest. Right. I will become a counselor mm -hmm. at best. At worst, I'll become a self-righteous, selfish bachelor mm -hmm. that lives for himself. Yeah. That's the worst. So in order to avoid that, I need to keep prayer and, and keep prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to keep praying and, and guard it. So what is that like for you now as a priest? Three years ordained? Going, going, in, four? going into my third year. Going into uh, your third second, year. Okay. Second full year mm -hmm. in June of 2019. Uh, what is it like for me? Prayer is, it goes through different times of intensity. So I really make sure I get at least a holy hour every day. Mm -hmm. Now, I've missed, I've missed that on a number of occasions. But that's because they're like 15-hour days. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and your feet hit the floor running, and like you don't, you literally don't have time to pray. Mm -hmm. But I know if I don't have a holy hour, I have the luxury of a holy hour. Yeah, isn't that great? Okay, yeah. so this is another thing that I realized. I was going for a walk, praying a rosary, 
and I saw people working on lawn, people playing with their kids in the yard, somebody walking a dog because the dog needed to poop, you know, people cleaning the boat. I mean, it's like cleaning the house. All these things were going on. And I thought, I have the luxury to pray the rosary right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I realized this is a luxury. But part of it is, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be a good priest for people. Because people don't come to me wanting Jacob Bear's 31-year-old advice. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, like, honestly, if they were, I'd be worried for them. Mm-hmm. Because that, I'm 31 years I'm 31 years old, you know, like, what do I know? And what they're seeking in you is, is the eternal priesthood. Exactly. Exactly. So if I lose that, that, and that's part of the thing that I think I can see how there's this battle in priesthood that happens where you want to be busy and you want to be busy because you love people Mm -hmm. and you want to do things to help them. So it's a very genuinely beautiful sentiment. If I'm doing things, I'm helping people. Mm -hmm. That's very attractive. If I'm praying, I'm literally doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And that means that in this, in this scenario, I'm not doing anything. Right. And so there can be this tension then of saying, I didn't do anything today because I took this day to more intensely pray. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, there are certain days where I know I need more than a holy hour. It doesn't happen all the time, but there are times where it does happen. And there can be a sense of guilt at the end of the day. Because you see how busy everybody is, even other priests. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, I had all this. And I'm like, what did you do today? And I'm like, well, I, you know. Mm -hmm. And you can almost be ashamed of what you did. Uh, But man, is that the spirit of the world? Yeah. You yeah. Know. I always I like, like to encourage people and say there's a good definition of prayer is wasting time with God. Mm. You, 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 you seem in the world to be wasting time, but who better to waste time with than just to be in the presence of God? Yeah. And the more I spend that time, the more loving I am. Mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which is, more. you know, because it's when I get busy, I start treating people like they're on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. To Instead do. of just truly being present. Yeah. yeah. And like, what's your problem? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, like, right next. <laughs> it's like, what's your problem? This, this, this. Next, mm-hmm. what's your problem? So what's wrong with you? Okay, so um, so my, my priesthood, my, my prayer has been all, uh, learning to pray for others and learning to enter into silence when I need to, mm-hmm. so that I'm filled up, so that I can pray for others. Yeah. Yeah, I often think of Jesus so often doing that, going off to be with the Father. You know, he'd do these amazing things and miracles, and there'd be a whole city that needed him, you know, but he, he still had to go away and to be with the Father. And I think that's so important that we do that as priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any um, just last thoughts on praying as a priest? And I think, too, as people are listening to this, they don't have the luxury that we necessarily have had yes. of five or six, six years of formation. Uh, you know, I think I get to do an annual retreat every year, an eight day retreat right. every year, a holy hour every day. You know, we're, 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 we're paid to pray. You know, we just yeah. like, we get to celebrate mass. 
What would you encourage people that, that haven't had these experiences and want to grow in prayer and just don't know how to do it? There's that yearning or that desire, you yeah. know, and they're listening now. What would you encourage for them? I think the first place I'll start with, and maybe this is my, my Baptist upbringing, but I think there needs to be, you've you got to begin from a place of faith. Mm-hmm. Faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and the reason I say that is because if we don't begin with the reality that Jesus Christ loves you, he's real, and he wants you to pray, and he wants to be with you in prayer, then you're going to turn prayer into a habit. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey. Mm-hmm. You're going you're gonna to approach prayer from that point. And if you feel like your prayer is not effective, you're going to feel like you failed. Yeah. Or you're going to think that your prayer is not good. Right. So we've got to begin from a place of faith that puts our faith that Jesus Christ loves me. He wants to talk to me. His, his word, the scriptures, are God speaking to me. And that the Holy Spirit is real and is already active in my life. And it's just a matter of me seeing it. Mm-hmm. So if we begin with faith, I think we're going to immediately begin to cut off those other temptations that can begin to have us judge our prayer as it's budding and growing, that can look for results instead of relationship. Mm. Because you don't end a great time with somebody you love and say, what did I get out of that? Yeah, yeah, how was this? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, on a scale of one to mm-hmm. 10, you know, how, what, what was this on your favorite day list? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, we gotta, you gotta go for the relationship rather than the results. You've got to put in time, be willing to waste time. Yeah. And you have to cut things out of your life. I think this is the thing that people don't share when they talk about starting to pray. But I think it was so important for me. Part of my experience was I needed to, I needed to indicate that this was more important than other things mm-hmm. for me to do it. And this is, we usually want to fit prayer into my day. Right. And when that happens, like I said, it becomes one more thing in your day. And then if your day is built around being effective, prayer is going to drop off when you have a lot of things to do. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to cut that off and you've got to cut things out. Prayer has to be more important than other things. Prayer has to be more important than friends Mm -hmm. at times. Mm -hmm. Prayer has to be more important than your favorite TV show. Prayer has to be more important, and reading God's Word has to be more important than catching up on news, than catching up on um, what celebrities are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like prayer and your relationship to Jesus Christ is going to have to make other things relative. Yeah, and it's not just like, you know, I think we as priests have a, a privileged uh experience to do that, you know, because that's part of our, what we do. But the reality is, is all baptized Catholics, that is what we do. Right. Everyone is supposed to, and and can have this wonderful relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that is real. Yes. And if you're desiring for God to speak to you, if you really want to hear his voice, I, I love what you said before, he wants to speak to you. Yeah. Even more so does he want to reveal himself to you and speak to you. And, and it becomes about translating how he's speaking to you. You're going to learn it. 
But you've got to learn by being willing to stumble. Hmm. It's learning to walk. It's learning any new skill, any new relationship skill. You're talking to an invisible being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're learning to have the a God relationship of all mystery, to a yeah. God of mystery. Yeah. So you're going to feel awkward. Like it's, it's learning to dance. Mm-hmm. It's an eighth grade dance. You know, yeah, or learning a new language, learning a you know, language. just from the beginning of how um, difficult that is. And, and, and you're going to, I remember being in Italy for a study abroad period, and I knew one phrase. It was, it's a good, it's a beautiful day. E un bel giorno, no? <laughs> That's all I knew in Italian. Mm-hmm. So I said to this old lady, e un bel giorno, no? And then she began speaking to me <laughs> a paragraph of Italian. And I went, uh... English. <laughs> <laughs> we could do that so, with God sometimes. Yeah. English, please. English, please. <laughs> and uh, so you're going to learn things, and you're going to get excited, and then you're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to say, what's the point? I mean, you're going to go through all of this. It's a relationship. You're going to say, what's the point of this relationship? Uh, I don't know. So I think people get worried when it's new if they're doing something wrong. But I think if you're doing it, you're doing it. You're 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 in the right, mm-hmm. and be willing to look up resources to help you. I went online when I was a teenager, and I looked up how to pray Lexio Divina. Yeah. So I was pr- I, I literally had the printout. I printed it out, and I was in my room with my Bible on one knee and this printout on the other one. I'm going step one, mm-hmm. read. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to read the passage now. Step two meditate. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to meditate. You know, so it was awkward. Yep. It didn't flow at all. Mm-hmm. It was choppy and silly. But that's the only way you learn. Yeah. And now I can do Lexio Divina and it's not awkward. In fact, I, I if I read it, sometimes it's like I skip to being in God's right presence mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to do I don't have to do anything more. Or I meditate and you just meditate. Or you pray and it's just prayer. It's like then you it's like playing jazz. You learn mm-hmm. the rules of music and then you can learn to then you can learn to play. Yeah. You know, but you gotta learn the rules first. So learn the rules, learn new things. And I love Philip Neary's line, pray as you can, not as you can't. Mm-hmm. Don't be don't be John of the Cross in three days. Right. And if you think you are Look out. You know, yeah. be leery of that. I always tell people the most important thing is just to make the time and, and go to prayer. And God will really help you. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably know about the prodigal father and the, the, the mission that we... The, our mission really is to, re- to provide the resources to teach people how to pray. So I just would encourage you to, to browse the website. Um, especially I would encourage the, the program we have called Pray 40 Days where you'll learn, as Father Jacob was saying, Lexio Divina, praying with your imagination, dialoguing with God, um, contemplative prayer, meditative prayer. So it'll give you an experience of really having um, kind of the, the fruits of, of what I've learned as a priest in my retreats and some of the wise spiritual people in my life and making that a, a way for you to at least begin to try it out. So I would encourage you to try that. Father Jacob, it's been wonderful to have you wow. here and to hear part of your story. I have a feeling there's going to be more. And uh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, would you mind giving us all your final blessing? Sure. Heavenly Father, everyone who's listening to this, I ask that you touch their mind and their heart to hunger for you and to hunger for the more of your Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, I thank you and bless you for your ministry to us as your church. I ask that you send forth the fire of your Holy Spirit to be in our minds and in our hearts, to long for more of you, to ache for you, and to be able to sense your presence. May Almighty God bless you and your loved ones in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you, Father. Thank you.